Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio. Uh, coming to you on this Monday evening, we decided to wait until after uh, the depth chart was released by Coach Nick Saban today uh, and uh, come to you with, for an hour of BAMS Radio. We appreciate everybody joining us tonight, uh, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. We always enjoy bringing you a lot of Crimson Tide football talk, and it's finally game week, finally upon us, and we're really looking forward uh, to Saturday at 7 o'clock. Finally, enough talk and see some action. Uh, I'm your host, Drew DeArmond, of course, with co-host Thomas Watts, who's the wizard behind the curtain. We'll hear from Thomas uh, as well. And also, uh, we have our third cohort with us, as always, William Redfish Barger, a 1992 national champion, and from 89 to 1993, a member of the Crimson Tide. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'll uh, wish both of you a happy depth chart day, guys. Uh, this is an annual rite of passage with Nick Saban. Uh, got a little salty today at noon. Uh, wouldn't ask about the quarterbacks, but still some interesting conversations. And uh, as we figured, uh, no, uh, you know, clarity to that QB situation. He's not going to name a starter until, uh, you know, right before kickoff. But I thought it was interesting, William. Uh, and, of course, as would be the case with the, the circus of this offseason, a fake depth chart was circulated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was uh, pretty funny. I give whoever – uh, was able to manipulate that as quick as they did after it was put out. You know, kudos to them. They get the, uh, you know, the troll of the Internet of the day. But, you know, I, I think, you know, moving away from the quarterback position, I don't think, uh, you know, anybody with an IQ, you know, north of 70, especially a football IQ, you know, thought that Jalen Hurts was going to be the starter, uh, you know, versus Louisville. Although, you know, that's something that you and I have had a lot of talks about. I, I do think that, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to have a role in this game and probably a role in the first three games. Um, we'll see how much of a role that turns into. But, you know, I thought the, you know, the comments that Nick Saban made himself as to, um, you know, who the first guy up, you know, off of the bench on the offensive line would be is, is Deontay Brown over Josh Cash at offensive guard. Um what was was more of a compliment to what Deontay Brown has been able to do over the last two years with his weight problem, uh, you know, versus as a uh, a negative to Josh Casher. You know, I would I would put him into the same category as, as a you know a guy like uh, Brandon Kennedy and Chance Warmack um, that have moved on from the Alabama program that can start at a lot of other Power Five schools. I would I would put Josh Casher into that same conversation. Um, who is one of the best leaders on this team, and you got to have those guys, whether they're, you know, in, in the in the top uh, 22 players or not. Uh, but but some other interesting, you know, depth chart moves. If you view that depth chart that was put out by the university as being legitimate, um, you know, are we really supposed to believe after only a week and a half of practice and one scrimmage that that Brandon Cahoe? Um, is, is the backup Dylan Moses at Will Linebacker. Um, you know, there was no mention of, uh, you know, one of the most hot, hot topics of the last three years in, in Alabama football, uh, that there's no Ben Davis uh, anywhere on the linebacker depth chart. And, you know, another guy that I think is, um, you know, I don't even know if you can give him a fair evaluation, you know, outside of that, you know, the Alabama coaching staff, because he's been hurt and, and hasn't really factored in. But, you know, no mention of a former, you know, borderline five-star DB and Nigel not, you know, on the depth chart. Right. Um, I, I would say the, 
the, the Nigel Knight and, and the Brandon Cahoe uh, movements are, um, you know, more impressive to me than, um, you know, some of the other stuff that I saw. But, um, you know, I think this is really, with hands down, no doubt, the, the most talented team that Nick Saban's going to put on the field up until this point of his tenure. When you look at the depth that they have on offensive line, you know, the depth that they have in that front seven on defense. Um, it kind of reminds me, I think, of on the back end of the defense. I think that was 2010 season when we went to Arkansas, and that's mm-hmm. when Drake or Patrick went out there and kind of got roughed up against the Bobby Petrino passing attack. But, you know, you see Patrick Sertain, uh, Josh Joe, Jalen Armour Davis on that depth chart. And, and, you know, we talked about this over and over again on the uh, on this podcast for, for the, since National Signing Day. Um, I think we've all been in agreement that this is the most talented defensive back class that Nick Saban has signed. And it looks like it's showing up early and often and, and, and throughout fall camp, Drew. It is. It's definitely showing up. And Quinnen Williams has made the move, looks like, inside a nose guard. He certainly can play outside as well, but he's up to 305 pounds. We've heard nothing but great things and uh, seen nothing but good things about him, both in a scrimmage situation uh, and in practice, uh, and, of course, hearing buzz from uh, what's been going down. Certainly he's a redshirt sophomore, ready to come into his own. Uh, Raekwon Davis, we've talked about, and you've said ad nauseum how unblockable you believe he is. Isaiah Bugs ready for a Jaron Reed type senior season. They've got LeBron Ray behind Bugs. LeBron Ray, I, we've all we've talked about them being in the top four. There wasn't uh, a mention of Tavita Masaika. A little bit surprising on the depth chart. Uh, this you know thus far though he can certainly be a factor. Uh, we thought he might be on there, but of course Fedarian Mathis, the redshirt freshman from Slidell, Louisiana, is behind Quinnen Williams. Uh, Johnny Dwight, who missed a couple days' practice, we were hearing with a concussion, uh, but he's back. So he's a redshirt senior from Rochelle, Georgia, listed behind Raekwon Davis. Uh, so that's that's your two deep. I was a little bit surprised that Yabi Anoma wasn't second team. He's bracketed with Jamie Mosley, but I think we understand he will play quite a role. And then Josh, Joshua McMillan and Markel Benton, co-second team behind Mac Wilson. And you're right. Probably the biggest surprise was Ale Keho only being there, you know, get, not even uh, making it for the start of fall camp, certainly not enrolling early and not going through spring and already being mentioned as second team. Uh, and, and no Jalen Moody. I was a little bit surprised by that because we know he had an interception in one of the, uh, uh, one of the uh, scrimmages, and we know he's been impressive since arriving. and He's been there longer. Uh, than Ali Keho, but it may just be that Ali Keho is that good. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think it also tells you that the depth situation uh, is not great at inside linebacker or outside backer, uh, certainly. But I think I thought it was very interesting that the top backup, William, at both corner spots was Patrick Sertain. He wasn't put at the star position, but we know he'll play there some, certainly. But one guy that the, the guy that was behind Cheyenne Carter that I've been hearing the coaches are very pleased with is Kyrie McDonald. But like you say, littered throughout that depth chart are guys like Josh Joe, Patrick Sertain, Jalen Armour Davis. So certainly uh, Eddie Smith looks like he's headed for a red shirt. But the rest of these young men, the other four, probably all going to play quite a bit uh, in that secondary. 
Well, the, the other one that I would kind of focus on too, Drew, which I think is uh, really good news, that if you go back and you look at those two outside linebacker spots, you know, you saw that, that Mosley was kind of the, the stop gap at both of them. Right, and that's you correct. Had Noma, you had a Noma at third team at one side, mm-hmm. and then you had Cameron Law too at the other, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting, you know, Two true freshmen out of the same recruiting class, both, you know, edge guys. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that's the case. I hope that's how it plays out because I think both of them are, you know, if, if you look at those pictures that everybody's put out, um, you know, I, I think that's the the difference in, you know, the Nick Saban evaluation process in, in 2018 versus 2012 is he's starting to put a premium and emphasis on, you know, guys that have length, guys that have long arms, guys that have, you know, get-up ability. I mean, I get it. I mean, um, you know, Jamie Mosley um, played a vital role last year after the injuries to Christian Miller and, and Terrell Lewis um, at outside linebacker. You know, did, did, did as good as he could possibly do. Uh, deserves a lot of credit. But I, I think that second-team position – at both outside linebacker spots where Jamie Mosley's kind of listed at second team at both sides. And you've got a Noman law too, two true freshmen. Um, you know, that that's kind of what I've been saying all along about the injuries to uh, Terrell Lewis and Chris Allen. You know, as long as nothing happens to Christian Miller and Anthony Jennings, I think they'll be able to absorb those injuries throughout the regular season. And, uh, you know, they've got two guys there poised that they feel comfortable with that are true freshmen in, in uh, Ibaye Anoma and, and Cameron Law, too, with, with Jamie Mosley being factored in right now. The, the one thing that was sort of surprising, though I understand, uh, we talked to one thing he has done since taking over for uh, Lance Thompson, and thank the Lord that happened, is that he has been able to, to cross-train these linebackers at both the Sam spot and the Jack. I was surprised they had Latu listed as a Jack and Iyabi and Noma listed as a Sam. But, again, that's probably the semantics, as William, is those positions are have become really interchangeable with all these guys. No, and that's that's the one thing that, that you know, Tosh Lapoy is, is more of a Jeremy Pruitt Right. Uh, protege versus a Kirby smart protege. You know, Kirby's, you know, kind of in, in the mode of, of, you know, a bend but don't break guy. You know, Jeremy's going to press the, the envelope. And I think Tosh is more of a press the envelope guy uh, to that extent. And, um, you know, I, I, I personally think regardless of where he's ranked on the depth chart that you, you will see by November that, you know, Ibaye Anoma is going to factor in in the rabbit package um, in obvious passing situations, um, you know, for Alabama. You know, really the only guy that was able to slow him down and control him uh, throughout the two summer scrimmages um, was Jonah Williams. He, he gave everybody else a lot of problems. You know, I'm hoping that Cameron Latu, um, you know, did the same thing. I don't have the same information on him as I do Anoma. But, um, you know, I think as long as there's not an injury to Anthony Jennings and Christian Miller on the outside, I think they'll be able to absorb, you know, that, that injury to uh, – both those injuries to 
uh, Terrell Lewis and, and uh, uh, Chris Allen, you know, mm-hmm. where you don't want to see something go south is to either Mac Wilson or Dylan Moses. Yeah, very true. And I think Jamie Mosley, who you already mentioned, being uh, the, the, the chief backup at Jack and uh, Sam linebacker and also Josh McMillan being the backup uh, to um, uh, Mac Wilson at the mic. Of course, he's bracketing with Markel Benton. But those two guys, they're going to be they're more their their role is the most important part of it is going to be leadership and teaching the young guys. I would think. No, I agree with that, and I think you know that that's been probably the the biggest storyline of fall camp so far is you know especially if you didn't have any inside information and all you did was watch you know the the rolling with the tide. Mm-hmm. Um, TV shows, which I think has been great, and I'm certainly looking forward to the final episode this week. But you know, you've kind of seen the guys on the team um, that, that that are the alpha dogs. I mean, I, obviously Isaiah Bugs is a uh, enforcer over there on the defensive line. Um, you know, I think Josh Casher, despite not being a full time starter, is certainly an, an enforcer for the offensive line. Um, I think you've got, you know, two really good leaders over there at the quarterback position and Tua Tungabailoa and Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, despite all the, you know, the vitriol that's been spread amongst, you know, in my opinion, Alabama fans, um, w- without any inside information, you can sit there and watch, especially the last episode, and tell that Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungabailoa are, are really good friends off the field. Um, you know, whatever goes on in that quarterback room, I have 100% confidence that Dan Enos is going to channel that and, and hopefully, you know, be able to get, uh, you know, positive performances out of both players. But th- that's the thing that you, you notice over and over again. And, you know, I, I played on some, you know, dysfunctional teams at Alabama myself. Um, you know, I, I still – you know, wonder how we managed to win the 1992 national championship because not that there were problems in the locker room, uh, but there were definite dysfunctional problems on the coaching staff. Mm, but that, yes. that's the thing that rings true to me, Drew, over and over again. The more that I watch, um, you know, that rolling with the Tide series is just how bought in all those players are. You know, there's one voice in Nick Saban. Um, you know, the guys that he brings in year after year, um, you know, they all talk about how it's one voice. But, you know, that they get these enforcers that come in on both sides of the ball. And, you know, that that's the goal that Nick Saban has, is he wants the players to police the locker room. And, you know, I've said it early and often, and I, I believe this, um, you know, to, to my core, this is going to be the most talented team, I think, over the next three seasons, you know, that Nick, Sa- Nick Saban's had. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the Louisville game coming up this Saturday um, will be over with at halftime. Um, you know, you, you know let, let's just look at some of the stuff, Drew, segueing into the next conversation. Um I don't think the Louisville defense will be able to hold up for four quarters. I don't even think they'll be, a hold, be able to hold up for two quarters. Um, you know, the, the Louisville has gone heavy um, after the departure of Todd Grantham from their defensive coordinator. But they've gone the JUCO route up front, and they've gone the bulk route. Um, you know, 
Alabama has won their last 11 openers by double digits. You know, I think Alabama's going to do that again. I think it's going to be a, you know, a 38 to 45 to 10 type of a win. But, you know, let, let's peel the onion back a little bit and take a peek at what Louisville's defense was last year. And I think before I even get started, this is probably the best representation um, that I can give of just how bad this Louisville defense is. Um, you all saw in the playoff game last year how Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban and Tosh Lapoy were able to shut down uh, Kelly Bryant and Clemson. Didn't give up a touchdown. All they had was two field goals. So last year in 2017, Louisville finished 70th in the country in scoring defense. They gave up 28 points per game. Mm-hmm. They finished they finished 63rd in rushing defense, 163 yards per game. They finished 66 in pass defense a game to the team of 255 yards. Um, if you add up the rushing D and the passing D given up last year to the team of 418 yards, if they give up 418 yards combined rushing and, and passing to Alabama on Saturday, it will be a 38 to 45 to 10 type game. Well, and I'll say this, I, I made this statement on another well-known radio program in Tuscaloosa this afternoon. I think it's going to be, I think I predicted 44, 17. And I honestly believe uh, that, that, um, uh, that Alabama is going to pile up over 500 yards of offense. I think they're going to have 300 passing because I think Tua is going to start this game. I think he's going to play the majority of the game. I do think Jalen's going to play. I do think it'll be when Alabama's up comfortably uh, sometime in the second half. But I'll say this: I think they're going to. I think they're going to pile up to over 200 yards rushing. They're going to have 500 yards of offense. I don't see how in the hell. A Bobby Petrino defense, which has never been worth a damn, is going to stop an offense led by Tua Tungvaluwa and all these weapons. Because it goes, it plays off of what you said. I think this is the most talented Alabama offense we've seen, and I think this group would have had a chance to score in the 30s on Florida State last year. But I mean, you can't go back in time because Tua was a freshman; he'd never played. And Florida State now, of course, has lost their coach and re-crank, and they're, probably, they're not going to be as talented this year. But I just don't see – I've never seen a Bobby Petrino team, William, have a good defense. So I don't know how they're going to contain Alabama. The only way I could see it, I guess, is if Alabama was a little sloppy, you know, had got a few penalties, turned the ball over. But I just don't see how they're going to stop them because, you know, with two in the game, you can't load the box. He's going to be able to throw the ball. I think he'll have some success in the first half throwing it, and I think they'll they'll continue to pound the run. And, of course, when Jalen comes in there, he would be able to hurt them with his legs, and they'll run the football. I'm sure they'll let him throw it around a little bit, but I, they will definitely stick with taking the air out of the ball. And I just see Alabama really wearing Louisville out. I do see Louisville hitting some throws early and testing that Alabama secondary and finding a way to score some points. But I just I don't see how it's uh, going to be a close game. I agree with you. I think it's going to be. I, I think Alabama will cover just barely. But I certainly think they're you know twenty four to twenty eight points better than Louisville. No disrespect. Who's a lot better than a team like Kent State? And that's why I don't think Alabama will rotate quarterbacks early. But again, 
I just think Alabama is that much better, especially when you look at offensive talent against that Louisville defense. And Bobby Petrino, he's never had a team that wasn't soft, and I don't see how that's going to change going in with a new coordinator. And Brian Van Gorder, we've been there, seen it. I mean, he's, he's had some success, but I don't think that's anything that's going to bother Alabama. Well, no, I, I think you're giving Louisville a little bit too much credit, Drew. I mean, I, I don't see how they score 17 points. I mean, well, and you may be right. I mean, I, I'm just I'm anticipating maybe the youth in the secondary uh, making some mistakes early, but certainly Alabama with their pass rushers, uh, with Raquan Davis, Isaiah Buzz, we talked about LeBron Ray, even the young kid Ayabi Anoma, uh, Christian Miller, uh, you know, all those guys, and Anthony Jennings. Alabama could make this. This could be USC like. But, I mean, and I think that's kind of the gist you're thinking about. Nope, that, that's what I'm thinking about. And, and you know, um, I think, you know, I, I totally agree with your assessment. I just don't agree on the total points. And, you know, I could be wrong. But I, I just think that, you know, like you said, you know, you, you used the, uh, the analogy um, a minute ago about, points being scored against somebody and I, I can't remember who the analogy that you used last year but my analogy has always been and always will be against Georgia right um you know if if, if Nick Saban you know let, let's go back to the the week before that um which we all knew that there was supposed to be a role for Tua um if Tua Tungavailoa had started against Georgia in the national championship game. That would have been a 40 to 45 to 13 type humiliation. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, and not so much because, you know, Tua is a gifted passer, which we all know, but it's what you saw in the second half when Najee Harris rushed for 11 yards per carry. And I think that's what you're going to see in this game. Um, if, if, you know, if Brian Van Gorder wants to load the box, um, it's not going to be pretty because I think that's going to be the MO of, of this team because I know Nick Saban's tendencies. He, he's going to use the threat of two, not, not that Alabama's going to be, um, a, a three yards in a cloud of dust offense, but you saw in that second half when, when Kirby Smart, who had one of the best defenses that Alabama played last year, was forced to back out of the box and play that offense heads up. Mm -hmm. Their front seven, which included a top ten pick in Roquan Smith, was not able to play honestly against uh, that that you know offense, which we, we should you know note right now had six true freshmen. You know, well, let's be honest here about what happened in the second half of the national championship game. It wasn't just the fact that Kirby Smart got beat by Alabama's offense. He got beat by basically Alabama's second-team offense that consisted of Tua Tungavailoa, Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood, uh, and the three true freshman wide receivers. That's six true freshman players out of the 2017 recruiting class. And that's why, Drew, my, my big beating of the drum is this, that people are really not talking about. If, if you go peel the onion back on that 2017 recruiting class, there's 10 to 11 guys out of that recruiting class. 
Um, you saw six of them in, in the national championship game. That that don't, don't call me crazy until you you realize this. You saw six of them in the national championship game that played a huge role in the second half. There are nine to eleven guys, in my opinion, out of that 2017 recruiting class that have the chance to end up being first round draft picks. Now they skipped a little bit of a beat with the 2018 class. That that's you know, yeah, they got Jalen Waddle, their number one offensive target. They got Abaye and Noma, their their number one defensive target. Um, they got their top defensive target in Christian Barrymore. But they reloaded one position completely, in my opinion, at DB with Patrick Patrick Sertain, Josh mm-hmm. Job, Eddie Smith, uh, Jalen Armour Davis, and, and Savion Smith, they, and yep. Savion Smith. Yes, the JUCO transfer. And I think that's the, the the true magic of a Nick Saban recruiting class is, you know, he can miss in one year about something that needs to be reloaded, whether it's the O-line class from 16 and then, you know, you sign – well, you know, let's look at it like this, Drew. Um, you know, they signed, I think, four offensive linemen out of that 2017 class that I'm talking about that has – nine to ten, you know, first-round draft picks. Um, I think we can all sit here and agree that they got two starters out of that deal in Leatherwood and Wills. They got a developmental guy in Randolph that I think still has a chance to be a future starter at Alabama. And then there's, you know, the one five-star bust um, in Elliott Baker. Yeah. Um, let, let's, you know, I, I'm not real impressed with, with the offensive line class that they signed in 18. Um, you know, Ikior might end up being the best of the bunch, but let's look at this year's class. Um, you know, you, you give me um, a developmental player like uh, the Bowles kid from Kentucky um, with, with Amari Kite and mm-hmm. uh, either or um, Evan Neal or, or, or uh, uh, Darnell Wright, that, that's big. I mean, when you can get – you know, when you sign a, a position group that has five guys that you're looking at on the table and three of them become starters, you're ahead of the curve. Yeah, you are. And uh, before we bring Thomas in to talk about Louisville a little bit, there's no question that uh, when you – and then this is classic Nick Saban too. They miss on J.J. Peterson, who may not qualify at Tennessee, still hasn't been cleared. Uh, and then you also look – uh, and then they miss on Quay Walker, who certainly is looking like a player at Georgia. But they get Jalen Moody, who certainly – I know he wasn't on the depth chart, but I, I think we all firmly have been impressed with him and think he can become a player down the road. And then you get to add Ale Keho due to some that, that academic situation at Washington. But then all of a sudden, uh, the, the, the claim that, that they didn't do well at inside linebacker is out the window. And you've got well, two guys that look like they're going to develop into really good players. Well, you know, I think you have to, you know, kind of package it all into one. I think, and that's why I think, Drew, you might see them only choose to take one more linebacker in the group. You know, if they, miss on, if they miss on Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the emergence of Jalen Moody, the development of Markel Benton, and, you know, if, if this Cahew stuff proves to be true, we'll have to wait and see what he does, you know, once the, you know, toe meets leather. 
um, you know, that, that frees up some numbers, you know, in this current 2019 class. And, you know, I think that might make that linebacker number, you know, they've already got, you know, um, some really good outside linebacker guys and also some inside linebacker guys in this class. Um, but, you know, I think the emergence of, of Moody and uh, the development of Benton and also uh, the KU guy coming on campus might change those numbers up a little bit and allow them to apply some numbers at some other positions. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I still think they like Nicobe Dean, and I'll just call him Henry T. from California. But And certainly uh, uh, Kevon Thibodeau, but like you said, and Chris Bogle. Uh, but they might not take, you know, three linebackers. It may be that they only take two. And from what we're hearing, they're only got about eight spots left. So the numbers are certainly tight. Uh, and they are, uh, they've been, and then uh, as you said, uh, they, they certainly want Clay Webb. They certainly want uh, either Evan Neal or Darnell Wright, though I think Evan Neal, from what I'm hearing, it might be the number one overall prospect on the board. He's really rocketed up there because he's lost weight and they think, he has a chance to be a first-round talent at left tackle and certainly uh, would be a – and with Trey Sanders, a guy that I think everyone believes Alabama has a large lead for, his teammate at IMG, that could work out very well for Alabama. But we want to bring Thomas Watts, our producer extraordinary and co-host, into the conversation. Thomas, your thoughts on Louisville. Uh, William and I certainly don't think that, uh, that, that, that they are capable of beating Alabama. I think uh, you know they could score some points if Puma pass – ends up being a big-time quarterback. We really don't know a lot about him. Uh, but when you just look at the style of football by Petrino plays, they're not very physical. I think they're going to throw to set up the run. And I think this Alabama defense could pin their ears back, force some turnovers. And I certainly believe with Tua Tungvaluwa at quarterback, it's going to be a bad matchup for the Cardinals. Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> t- let's get the pithy thing out of the way real quick, Drew. Saturday evening in Orlando is going to be a paddling. I mean, it's it's that easy to me. I, I think Bobby Petrino is a decent football coach, but your reading of the situation is spot on. I don't think Louisville has been a physical team ever. You know, you have the two Lamar Jackson years, but that was more Lamar Jackson being, you know, Michael Vick 2.0 than anything to really jump out and scare you. Lamar Jackson's now playing for the Baltimore Ravens. So I, I think – this game, if you, if you want to hit the storyline, to me, it's really all about Alabama. I, I think that Alabama will be able to make Louisville one-dimensional. And if that if that comes to pass, and I believe it will, Alabama's going to blow Louisville away. You know, I'm not sure I buy into your 17 points thing, to be quite honest with you. I and I may I, be wrong about that now. Well, I'm just giving I'm giving Pop Petrino a little bit of credit and pass a little bit of credit, but you may be right. This could be William thinks it's going to be a mauling like Southern Cal, and that could be possible. Well, the thing is, you know, you look at the history of Nick Saban, and at this point, you know, I, I was actually thinking about this show, and I was thinking about the football season, and we now have a decade of what Nick Saban does at Alabama. And what are some things that you can take all the way to the bank? One, if you give Nick Saban five or six weeks to prepare for you, he is probably going to beat your ass. That that is almost (laughs) certainly going to happen. You know, we have four years of playoffs, multiple national championships, where Alabama rocked out, you know, came out and just annihilated their opposition. 
you know, that ESPN's been rerunning the Clemson-Alabama game, and I was in the stands for that one, so I've been – it's fun to watch it from not uh, not on the sideline, essentially. It's fun to see the various angles. You know, Alabama won 24-6, but uh, – and you can certainly say, oh, because of two plays, the game was over. Uh, the counterpoint to that is if a couple of plays go the other way, it's 38-6, to or if there's not a bad, you know, a bad snap – by Jalen Hurts between or bad exchange between Jalen Hurts and Damian Harris, it's something like thirty-eight to three. And before we really get into some serious revisionist history here, realize that this is the Clemson team that oh they've dethroned Alabama. Oh they're gonna roll in and they're gonna they're gonna take out all the SEC because they're gonna they're gonna take the rubber match and they're gonna have beaten Alabama two times in a row. And then if Georgia rises up to beat Oklahoma, they're gonna go to Atlanta and Clemson's gonna be back to back national champions. That was the narrative that everybody forgets because the narrative flat out ran out of gas in New Orleans this year. So you know back to my point. Nick Saban's probably going to smoke you if you give him time to prepare. Well, he has officially had time to prepare for Louisville. Do they have some a, a new guy in Jawan Pass? Is he hard to specifically scout? I mean, okay, maybe, but that doesn't really re- compute to me. I, you know, what's the first thing I always do when I break down two teams, Drew? I pull up their rosters, and I say individually, you know, one-on-one. And I know football is not an individual game. There is a team element. But you look at who's going to match up with who on the entire twenty starting 22 from both teams. And I wouldn't take anybody from Louisville personally. Not that they're <laughs> a bad football team. I think they're going to be decent in the ACC. The problem is Alabama's right now in maximum freight train mode, essentially, and – when Alabama's in this, in this area, you know, completely healthy, you know, unfortunate injuries aside, but aside from the season-ending injuries, you know, when Alabama's playing up to what is probably its ceiling or close to it, there are only four or five teams in college football that will be able to hang with this, with Alabama. And the short version is Louisville ain't one. Give me 52-7. I'm sorry. I think 52-6, right there for the number. And – and everyone's going to fall over themselves because Alabama's offense is awesome and Alabama's coming back and they're going to be just fantastic for another year. And anybody who has, you know, listened to this pro- program or talked to some folks that have been to scrimmages are going to sit back on their easy chair and be like, uh, well, freaking duh. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's going to come to pass. I'm looking forward to it. Can, can we tee it off and kick the ball off, please? That's my attitude. And before we go back to William, I'm going to ask you, we, William and I disagree slightly. I think that Jalen will play. I do I do think it'll be in the second half. William believes he'll be in early, uh, but that Tua will start. We are in agreement there. As you are the third member of our uh, trio here, what is your thoughts on who you think will start and how do you see Nick Saban handling the quarterbacks? Well, I think we're going to essentially be playing seven-on-seven seven on Saturday night. <laughs> so... Uh... The only time that I see Tua Tonga-Vailoa coming out of the game is if he struggles. You know, if he is this. Let, let's let's be realistic here. This is his first game, ostensibly, where he is the guy. Yes, he had a great half of football, and we've seen excellent things from him since in limited action. But I, against this team, I think Jalen Hurts comes in later. 
I don't think Nick Saban will will sit the hot hand, and I don't think this defense is good enough to slow down a guy like Tonga Vailoa. If it comes to pass that, you know, it's Alabama's offense is kind of sputtering along through the first quarter, I'd expect to see Jalen Hurts. You know, that, there will be a rotation, but if one guy comes out on fire, ostensibly that's Tua, he'll play until Alabama's up by four or five touchdowns. Interesting. So Thomas and I are more on the same wavelength, but we'll see who ends up, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, with the uh, bragging rights, I guess, or what, what not, who ends up being right about that. But, uh, William, I thought it was interesting to go back to the offensive line. You know, we, we Coach Saban made special mention of Womack injuring his foot and said that had an effect on what they were going to do at tackle because they had a lot of confidence in him. It seems to me they don't have a lot of confidence in Scott Lashley still because he was bracketed at backup left tackle with Chris Owens, who's also the backup center. Uh, Scott Lashley, it's it, he may be a guy with this recruiting class if they can get Evan Neal. He, he's he's close to being processed himself. He became in a, a ballyhooed guy out of Mississippi, but we did, and he looks like a million dollars, but we just haven't seen the light come on. You know, I don't I don't think it's fair to say that you know the light hasn't come on. I mean, maybe it's more fair to say that he's been recruited over. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you know, with. with you know, Alex Leatherwood being the starter at right guard and Jedrick Wills being the starter at right tackle. I mean, I think it's more fair to say that, you know, what we know is, you know, average blokes um, that aren't involved in the program is this. Um, if something were to happen to Jonah Williams, it's, mm-hmm. it's no different than what it was uh, back in the second week of January. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, both Josh Casher and Deontay Brown have played a part in this. You know, if something were to happen to Jonah Williams, it's not going to be any different than it was in the national championship game. Um, and I think that's why they cross-trained, you know, both Jedrick Wills and Alex Leatherwood at right guard and right tackle. You'd see a, a switch of um, Alex Leatherwood to left tackle, Deontay Brown to right guard, and, and you know the beat goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you know beyond that, it's it's Josh Casher next man up. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know I think the the deal with this you know 2018 Alabama football team is this: that there's so many um, options on offense. And they're looking for a distributor of the football. We all know who that is. Um, but at the end of the day, don't expect this to go away. Um, Nick Saban loves him some Jalen Hurts. Um, he has huge loyalty to him. He's not going to take a dump on him. Um, I'll, I'll go to my grave, and I'll be the first person to come back on this show next week if this doesn't play out. But I think – um, Jalen Hurts comes into the game versus Louisville, regardless of down and distance or the score. He's going to come in somewhere on the third of the fourth series against Louisville. Well, and that may be the case, but I, I just think that he's catered to him the entire time, and he lost the job. And and and, and again, I think he's going to play him. I don't think, but I do think he'll still redshirt. I think his father has that understanding that uh, Coach Saban will help take care of them. because, And I think it's a – and and the red shirting is not a slap at Jalen Hurts. 
it's helping him and his family because if he's not the starting quarterback, you certainly, if I were Jalen and I were his family, I wouldn't want to waste a year of eligibility as a backup. And certainly now that they have this four-game redshirt rule, uh, Nick Saban will work with them. And if two is healthy, then you know he will. They will find a way to redshirt Jalen Hurts and help him move on for two years to another institution. Now, if Tua Tagovailoa were to get injured, it's all, all everything's off the table. I, I never, and I would never say this, even though I said Mac Jones had a better spring. We know that the, that the starting quarterback would be Jalen Hurts. When you started twenty-eight times, it's a no-brainer. You're not going to be starting Mac Jones. He has not played in a game, so. Uh, the red shirt would be off the table if something happened to Tua, but hopefully Tua will stay healthy, light it up. Jalen Hurts will be used uh, in a few situations, uh, and then I think uh, they will uh, preserve his red shirt and he will move on. He's going to get his degree. We all know he needs about 15 hours. He'll definitely graduate and transfer to another institution. So, and and quite frankly, I was asked this this morning if they hadn't passed that rule and if Tua had been, uh, you know healthy in the spring, I think Jalen would have already transferred. But, you know, the rules changed, and you can take advantage of those. And I think that's – and Nick Saban did too because he wanted to keep Jalen around because he, you want the ultimate uh, insurance policy. There's nobody in the country that has an insurance policy like that at quarterback where you have a, a first-round pick like Tua Tungvaluwa, and behind him you got a cat that's won the SEC Offensive Player of the Year two years ago uh, and is 26-2 and two as a starter. I mean, it's it, nobody else has that problem, or, and it's not a problem. It's a luxury. So Nick Saban, you know, played his cards right. This is what he's wanted. Uh, and now you just have to hope uh, that the chemistry is right on the football team. And as you pointed out, William, uh, you've been watching training days wrong with the Tide. The chemistry looks good uh, among the coaches and the players. We'll find out if that's absolutely the truth because I thought it was interesting. Andrew Zhao had comments recently that uh, when he was around the program, you, you talked about the dysfunction on the coaching staff when you were there. There was certainly dysfunction during that era with Watson Zow. Oh, yeah, and, no. And, Andrew, uh, Andrew had yeah. to deal with a lot yeah. more dysfunction oh, than yeah. I did. I mean, because yeah. he freely admitted that it divided the team with the way they handled it. Um, and, you know, I'll play into that a little bit, too, because I don't think there's a chance for dysfunction on this team. I mean, I, I think the locker room knows who the guy is. Right, but my, my my take, Drew, on this has more to do with the schedule than anything, and it's you know you're, you're playing a, a a less than talented team versus Louisville in game one, and then you go through the the next three games, and then you've got you know what you have to look forward to with Old Miss, Texas A and M. I've always had. That, that Texas A&M game on September the 21st circled, um, you know, much much like the, the same way that I had the Penn State game circled, even though it was in week two with, you know, Phillip Sims and the A.J. controversy. But I've had that, that, that Texas A&M game circled since the national championship game. And, you know, I'm not trying to cause divisiveness in the locker room. I'm just trying to say from stuff that I've watched how Nick Saban has handled it, you know, in the past going forward. And I just think that you've got this, you know, full month of football to, you know, make a decision, do what you want to do. Um, you know, if all the talk from, you know, the sources that I have, 
is that, you know, Nick Saban is loyal and he loves Jalen Hurts. Um, you look at the schedule and you say, well, when does it stop? And, you know, to me, the stop point is A&M on September the 21st. Um, that's inside the, the, you know, the four-game gap. And, you know, that's why I've maintained why I think both quarterbacks will play. And, you know, maybe it doesn't happen. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know Drew, it's kind of like the, uh, the recruiting board changes every Monday morning at 730. But yeah, that, that, that's why yeah. I've, that, that's why I've said what I've said since the national championship game about, you know, both guys playing and, you know, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But, um, you know, I, I don't even see a need of, of a full-time quarterback being named uh, until they play LSU in November. That, that's how weak this Alabama schedule is. Now, I know it's going to happen before then. And, you know, Nick Saban is such a good head coach. He's going to, you know, name a guy. But, you know, if it were me, you know, let's just say that somebody was paying me $11 million to make that decision. Um, If it were me, I would do a game plan like this. Um, You know, Tua starts, goes out and gets a huge lead, which – I think they can possibly do against everybody they play up until the month of November. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts comes in, which, Drew, you and I have both talked about this facet. Um, it's, it's quite possible that after the fourth game, uh, you know, Jalen coming in is not going to be an option anymore. But I would let Tua go out there and run the damn score up. I would bring the guy in that, you know, doesn't turn the ball over and is scared to throw the ball down the field. And I would sit back and let my defense make the damn decision. Um, You know, whether that's Nick Saban's game plan or not, I don't know, but we'll find out. Well, and here's my my theory is why I think he'll save Jalen Hurts. And I still think he'll play him against Louisville, uh, certainly. But I think if Tua continues to play well, I wouldn't be surprised if he saved a couple of his bullets for Hurts. Uh, against, uh, you know, teams like LSU on the road, Mississippi State, and even Auburn, uh, because, you know, those are going to be the best teams they play. Certainly you don't know, uh, you know, you, you hoped uh, Tua Tungvaluwa is going to be healthy, but if he were to get banged up and you could you had, uh, and, and you had uh, kept uh, the redshirt rule intact, you could still use Jalen Hurts. I'd have him as my ultimate insurance policy. Uh, and that way it helps both parties. If he's not playing – uh, certainly he understands why, but he knows he's going to have his eligibility. And then if you need him in those big games, because he has been on the road, he has played, uh, you know, in hostile environments, you can certainly use him. Uh, if Tua Tungvaluwa, uh, you know, were to, were to get banged up. So I would just have jailed as the ultimate uh, insurance policy. I would play Mac Jones some because I think Mac Jones needs to be developed. And, of course, I think in some of those games, William, like we're talking about, like the Citadel, that's going to be uh, just a, a scrimmage right there. I don't think Arkansas State will be that difficult. They'll be able to play a lot of people. And and, and then uh, against Louisiana as well, I know you know Bear, uh, Billy Napier knows Nick Saban, but he's not going to have the material uh, right there. And I wouldn't want to waste Jalen Hurts in those type games. But I'll say this. I wanted to go – and get your thoughts on this, because I think Barrett Salee's been uh, snorting something up or, or, or drinking something he shouldn't be drinking. But I, but I can't believe 
he thinks that Ole Miss is going to beat Alabama and Oxford. Now, I'll say they do have a very potent offense with Jordan Tiamu uh, at quarterback and these receivers. We understand their receivers are good, but okay, here's the thing. How are they going to run the football in Alabama? And then how in on, on earth, with that defense, the way we've seen it the last couple of years, are they going to hold Alabama under 50 points with two at Tungvaluwa at quarterback? I don't see it. I think Alabama is going to nuke them in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, certainly they could score some points and stay in it early, but I don't see this as being an upset. Your thoughts? Um, I just want to know how they're going to uh, rebound in a race. Uh, what was it, 63-3 to last year? Yeah, it was 66-3. to 66-3. Now, they've got, you know, a quarterback that can sling it. A little um, bit, they yeah. Certainly have, they certainly have some wide receivers. But, you know, they don't have Tim Dietschy and, you know, Terry Connor oh, and all those no, guys. Oh, nobody. Woo. You know, that allowed Ole Miss to have a defense. Mm. Um, you saw what we did to them last year with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Exactly. Um, now, I would I would backtrack a little bit from that game to the first three games and say, um, how how are you going to slow this down? You, you know, you're you're talking about this if you're Barrett Salee, you're talking about this from what you saw out of Alabama's offense and defense from last year. Um, I, you know, if I was on a radio show with Barrett Salee, who I know is a huge uh, Auburn and Georgia homer, um, I would say this. Uh, good luck trying to stop this offense, which I know for without a shadow of a doubt that Nick Saban is, you know, growing, uh, going through some growth pains of having a quarterback that's not a game manager. And I understand this is this is what haunts Nick the most. It's you know, what you saw from, uh, you know, Tua in, in the second half of the Tennessee game when he threw that pick six. Mm-hmm. But what did he do after that? Oh, yeah. After that pick six. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the second half of the national championship game with some, some, some questionable throws. Certainly that sack was a bullshit thing that he took. But the next play, you saw what he did. It's, I think, the biggest trigger for Alabama fans in, in this year's, you know, schedule is how quickly can Nick Saban go from having a quarterback that's a game manager versus a gunslinger? Well, and and I, that, that, to me, that, to me, is the, the total story on, the, on this 2018 Alabama football team. Well, and you bring game up a great- manager. Game manager or gunslinger? And you bring up a great point of that because Nick Saban has continually said what you talked about, someone to distribute the football, and he's said on more than one occasion that Alabama's going to have to score points this year. And he's talked about the kind of weapons they have on offense. So I think this is going to be a team. Of course, Coach Saban, he's never going to run the score up on people, but he certainly uh, is going to have this team, I think, average over 40 points per game. I'll stick by it. I don't see how Ole Miss is going to get a lot of stops against Alabama because certainly uh, Ole Miss has uh, probably as good of receivers as Alabama, but they don't have the running backs the Tide does. They don't have the offensive line. I think Greg Little's a good left tackle, but I don't think he's Jonah Williams. 
Uh, and I certainly think that Alabama, as you said, William, this this land shark defense that lost its teeth a long time ago. Uh, and so for the last two or three years, it has not been nearly as good. And I think uh, Alabama will take Ole Miss to the woodshed uh, in, in Oxford, Mississippi. I, I do think that Ole Miss might be able to score some early, but Alabama will start getting after Tiamu. They've got too many athletes, and the Tide will win that game comfortably. I still think around uh, maybe 52 to 24 or something like that. I, I just really think they're not going to be able to stop Alabama. You know, maybe I'm wrong here, but I just really I can't wait to see this offense. I'm giddy. No. I want to see all these guys play. Go ahead. No, not what I was going to say was, and I wasn't arguing with you. Was, oh no, not at all. I, not think, at all. I, I, I think people are discounting the defense. Uh, Alabama's um, you know, defense. When, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you know, people are worried about this Alabama football season. Number one. Um, and I always go back to the second half of, of the national championship game. And when, when you say that these are the two best teams in the country, and, you know, Drew, I've already talked to you about what my feelings were about if Tua had started that game mm-hmm. and how the outcome of that game would have been, you know, a 40 to a 45 point to 13 ass whooping for Kirby to absorb. Right. Um, also, too, and, you know, I get it. You know, new defensive coordinator, you know, Tosh Lapoy. Um, you know, you've got Pete Golding, who I think is a, a brilliant football mind. You know, you've brought in uh, the best defensive line coach in college football, um, you know, deal with some of these guys. And, you know, I, I saw it my, myself in person in spring practice. If, Alabama's offensive line, not named Jonah Williams, can't block Raquan Davis one-on-one. Um, you know, if you've got guys that are in secondary positions like Isaiah Bugs and Quinnen Williams, uh, Christian Miller, and all the other ones, not to mention with what's going on on the, the back end of that defense, I don't know why an Alabama football fan will be worried about this season. Um, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be – they're not going to be challenged up until the month of November when they play um, LSU and Auburn. Um, you know, sit back and watch it play out. And, and, William, and I think just like, just like you've talked about, Drew, if you've got Tua Tungavailoa, in a position, which I think that's what Nick Saban is doing with maybe mixing in Jalen Hurts a little bit, um, which motivates him and, 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 you know, elevates him to distribute that football. It's going to be ridiculous. And I will never forget, Drew, um, which one of my all-time favorite Alabama football coaches told me about this kind of new – genre of Alabama football told me um, my old buddy Mario Cristobal told me this in the summer of 2015 if we don't win two national championships between 2016 and 2019 we should all be fired I remember you telling me that he, he's so- halfway th- he's halfway to that goal Drew yeah, they really are. And uh, and then as we're winding it down here, William, but in the kicking game, 
I thought it was interesting that he had uh, Joseph Bulavas ahead of Austin Jones, though he had an either or. I still think Jones will handle the kickoff or the uh, excuse me the field goals, uh, and uh, and Bulavas the uh, the uh, kicking off. Though certainly Bulavas can handle the short ones as well. He's done that before uh, with Cade Foster and Jeremy Shelley. Uh, and, I, and certainly, I still think Skylar DeLong will be the punter, but Michael Bernier, uh, and we, and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family because he lost his mother to, to cancer, and that's why he missed the last scrimmage. Oh, damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, he transferred from Eastern Illinois two years ago because his mother had cancer, William, and she'd been battling, and she lost her battle, you know, a couple of, about a week and a half ago. But he'll be back, and we'll see. He, he really punted well in the first scrimmage. I still lean toward DeLong, but we'll see what Coach Saban does, and that will probably play itself out over the next week. But I know he wasn't listed as the primary punt returner. I still believe Jalen Waddle will be out there against Louisville. What are your thoughts on him? I sure hope he is. I mean, uh, you know, um, He's a guy that's come in, Drew, and I think has blown everybody away with, you know, what he can do from a, a you know, small space, uh, quick to uh, quick to explosion type guy. Um, you know, if he's not listed as one of the, uh, you know, primary kick returners or punt returners, I think he probably will be um, by the end of the season. Um, but, um you know, you know, going back to, you know, how the coaches rank people that they get, um, you know, I know you made the uh, demonstrative statement, you know, today on, on the Facebook page about, um, you know, Evan Neal being the, the, you know, the number one overall player on the, the Alabama board is still left. Right. And I certainly don't disagree with that. But what, what I do find funny is, you know, where he's ranked, and this is what I've, you know, would would love to, you know, kind of turn this program into as an educational piece as to um, how the Alabama coaching staff ranks a player versus how they're rated by recruiting service. services. And I, right. I would certainly, I would certainly, um, you know, turn uh, the the Antonio Alfano recruitment in the same light, mm-hmm. but. There, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that last year um, Jalen Waddle was the number one overall player on Alabama's football board, just mm-hmm. like it was no different than Ibaya what was the number one defensive player, and, and just like it wasn't a, 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 a debate that Christian Barrymore was the number one defensive tackle that they signed. That's why I will always debate somebody that wants to talk about how, oh, my God, that number six recruiting class was so bad. Well, no, it really wasn't. But yeah. I, I personally think, Drew, that, that Waddle will end up being a big factor in this year's offense, um, you know, for, for the reason why nobody else wants to ask is he's going to have Tua Tungavailoa describing the football. You know, let's look at this shit, Drew. It's it's ridiculous. Um, how what, what Tua Tungavailoa? I mean, I almost want to say that he's cheating because he has this to distribute the football to. Uh, Henry Ruggs, five star. Devonta Smith, five star. 
Jerry Judy's, who some said was the number one wide receiver in the country. Uh, six foot six, you know, four four forty guy, uh, shavers. Um, I mean, people don't want to sit there and admit as to what they're fixing to have to absorb and admit that the days of Nick Saban playing a game manager at quarterback are over with. Mm -hmm. He's got so much talent, the best talent in college football. Now, I'm not saying that we're fixing to turn into, you know, Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M or Cliff Kingsbury at at, at wherever he coaches. Right, Texas Tech, yeah. From what people are used to seeing and what they're fixing to get, Mm -hmm. it's going to be retarded. And, William, to close it out, uh, we'll, we'll get everybody's predictions. I'm I'm going to go with 44-17 Alabama. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, and I know you think it's going to be a mauling. What is your final score, your prediction? Um, I, you know, Drew, I certainly don't think your prediction is off the mark. But I, right. I'm going to say I'm going to say 42 to 10. Okay, 42 to 10. Very a similar prediction and. Thomas Watts bring you in to close this out. Your prediction, I think you you said fifty two to seven earlier. Is that what you're sticking with? Uh, yeah, I'll stick. I'll fifty two seven's fine. And uh, I don't want to kick this hornet's nest today, but uh, LSU's a bad football team, and they will struggle to make a bowl this year. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, if Joe Burrows, who is named the starter, who everybody expected, if he is not the real deal, Thomas Watts, you are probably correct. Because I don't think this LSU football team has a great offensive line, though it may be better than last year. And they certainly don't seem to have that bell cow running back unless this Chris Curry freshman uh, that I really liked out of Florida ends up being the real deal. He's had a good fall camp, but he certainly hasn't done anything. And if they get whacked by Miami, I'm telling everybody, they're probably headed to 6-6. Six and six And uh, Ed Ogeron's uh, seat will be extremely hot. But uh, good stuff from all you guys. It's been a quick hour. We've had some great conversation. I want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us and giving us his thoughts on the depth chart and giving us, uh, you know, and uh, I want to thank Thomas Watts for his thoughts on Louisville and his prediction and, of course, producing our great program. And uh, for myself, Drudy Armand, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast and the conversation. We can't wait for Saturday. We're counting down the days until Alabama kicks off against Louisville uh, at 7 o'clock in Cam- at the Camping World Classic in Orlando. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, Tua Tungvaloa in this offense. Hopefully, as William has said, it's going to, with all these five stars and his skill talent, really come out firing and play well against Louisville and uh, get off to a fast start. But for everyone, we, we hope you enjoyed our uh, you know post-depth chart Monday podcast. And we'll be back at our usual time this coming Sunday to rehash the Louisville game and to give us some thoughts on Arkansas State and uh, hopefully see the tide roll. But for everyone, have a great night, and roll tide. This is BAMS Radio.